Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast. In this Integrated Cancer Medicine Research in Focus series, I talk to various ICM members about their research and how it is supported by the vision of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine. MFICM research uses cutting-edge analytics to maximise the use of diverse high-volume datasets and by capturing cancer heterogeneity in time and space in patients receiving active treatment. Integrated Cancer Medicine aims to transform the way the world treats cancer by affecting patients along their treatment pathway and ultimately accelerate cures. Today I have with me Professor Ferdia Gallagher and Dr Mary McLean and we're going to talk about the use of hyperpolarised carbon-13 magnetic resonance imaging in clinical body imaging to probe cancer metabolism. Professor Gallagher is CRUK Senior Cancer Research Fellow and Professor in Translational Imaging at the University of Cambridge and Honorary Consultant Radiologist at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. Dr McLean is Senior Research Associate at the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Institute. Thank you both for joining me today. To start with, could I ask you to briefly outline what the hyperpolarizer 13C MRI is? Most uh, carbon has an atomic weight of 12, but about 1% of atoms have an extra neutron, so that makes them carbon 13. And that makes them magnetic, so we can use them to do magnetic resonance imaging experiments, like we use the hydrogen atoms in water normally. However, normally the signal from the carbon 13 is very, very much lower than the hydrogen water signal. So what we do is we take a sugar where the carbon is carbon-13 and we pre-treat it in the hyperpolarizer, which increases the signal very much so that we can see it before we inject it into the body. Okay, and how does the hyperpolarizer work and, and what does this method assess? So inside the hyperpolarizer, the sample's put inside a magnet that's about 50,000 times stronger than the Earth's magnetic field and it's chilled down to about one degree above absolute zero, and it's bombarded with microwaves. And what that does is it makes all of the atoms sort of line up with each other in the same energy state, so that all of their signal adds together instead of usually a lot of it is canceling out the signal from the two different energy states. So when they're all in that same energy state, and most of them are in that same energy state, then that increases the signal that we can receive by about 100,000 times. So that's similar to increasing the height of a speed bump to about Mount Everest in the sort of relative enhancement of signal. So obviously it's very much easier to see the signal when it's been hyperpolarized. And can you talk a little bit about why this method assesses and why it's important, how it works for the patient? So what, what it lets us do is see the metabolism of these sugars. So normal MRI, we're just looking at the anatomic structure of the tissues. But if we inject these hyperpolarized sugars, then we can see the body and specifically the tumors taking up that sugar and metabolizing it into other molecules inside the body. So that makes it a bit more similar to PET scanning, which does a similar thing with radioactively labeled sugars. But there, all we can see is it taking the sugar up from the blood. We can't see what happens to it next because a radioactive label makes it sort of blocked so it can't be metabolized anymore. But with the hyperpolarized carbon-13 labeled sugars, 
they can be metabolized just like other normal sugars in the body. And we can see them being transferred into different molecules along the way. So that gives us a much better idea of what's actually going on metabolically in the tumors. So what benefits does a hyperpolarized 13C MRI give compared to usual imaging methods? Normal imaging of hydrogen water, we're just seeing the anatomic structures of the tissue. But with a hyperpolarized carbon-13, we're seeing the metabolism of the sugars. And we can see very early on then potentially the effects of chemotherapy, that the uses that a tumor makes of the sugars might be quite different if you've given a successful treatment to the tumor. So within a day or a few hours even perhaps, we could see some effects of the treatment on the tumor. Whereas if we were just looking at the anatomical structures of the tissues, we wouldn't see any effect for you know, weeks or longer. So in effect, it's an early indication of treatment, progress or efficacy. We think that's probably the main use that it will have in cancer patients. Yes, absolutely. And does this imaging method work on all cancer types or is it most relevant or most useful to assess in certain cancers? It should work on any solid tumor. If it's something like leukemia, where there's just isolated cancer cells in the bloodstream, then we wouldn't necessarily be able to make images of that very well. But it's a sort of fundamental property of tumors that almost all of them like to take up a lot of sugar. So that's something that we can tap into to use this imaging method on this sugar called pyruvate, which is the first one we've taken into the clinic. There are other molecules that we would be able to label, which would maybe work better in some cancers than in others that we'll be moving into shortly. But for the sugars, that's why the PET scanning works so well, is that it's been known for about 100 years that tumors like to take up a lot of sugar, convert it into lactic acid, even when there's a lot of oxygen present. Normal tissues would convert more of it to carbon dioxide. If there were oxygen present, they would burn it in that way, whereas the tumors produce more lactic acid. And so that's something that we can see directly with this method of imaging. And is it available to everybody with cancer? So it's not currently available to everyone because it's, this is part of research currently. And there are four sites in the UK that can undertake this technique, about 30 sites in the world that are exploring the, this technique. We're focusing in Cambridge on cancers in the breast and brain, as well as prostate, uh, renal and ovarian cancer. Other groups across the world are looking at different cancer types. And from our point of view, these are interesting in a number of different ways, which is why we've chosen them, not only for their metabolic properties, the properties that Mary's just been talking about, but also because they present some very clear clinical problems that we're trying to solve. For example, they can be very difficult to treat, they can have a very poor prognosis, uh, and therefore getting new ways to image them is really key. What challenges and opportunities does this imaging method present? The main challenge is that the hyperpolarization only lasts for a few minutes after you've warmed the sugar up from absolute zero to body temperature. So we have to do that warming up process to extremely quickly check the safety of the sample, inject it in the patient and do our imaging before all of the signal disappears. So the logistics of doing these experiments is very difficult, involves a very large team of people concentrating on this, on this problem. But the main opportunity is that it does allow a very quick snapshot of the state of the tumor. Whereas PET imaging takes hours and gives a sort of global view, we're seeing instant conversion rates into other metabolites. And so that might let us see whether treatment's working very early on, because within about a day, the metabolism of these sugars like pyruvate can change. And there are further opportunities moving into other molecules. 
So instead of labeling the sugar called pyruvate, we are setting up experiments to label fumarate and inject that. And that allows a more direct reading of how much cell death is going on inside the tumor, because it's only in regions where there are cells dying that we should be able to see this fumarate being taken up and converted into malate. So that will give us even more direct confirmation that yes, this treatment is working because we can see the cells dying. And I guess if there are only very few sites able to do it, it's not available very broadly, let's say at the minute, would that be one of the challenges as well? Absolutely. That's something that we're working on with the sites in the UK and indeed in Europe that are working this technique to try and develop some of these studies. I think it's really key to demonstrate that the results that we get are repeatable and reproducible both within our sites and across sites. And in order for it to be used in in these clinical studies in the future, that's absolutely key. Sure. Has it been part of a clinical trial yet or or are there plans to use it in the future? So we're actually incorporating into some clinical trials already, and we're working with the renal team very closely as part of the WIRE study, as it's called. So patients have imaging um, before surgery, and during that time before surgery, they also undergo therapy. So we're able to monitor the effects of that therapy on the metabolic imaging that we're using it to assess the effect of drugs on the tumor and the imaging to measure those changes. And in the longer term, we can use that information to predict how people may respond to look for early treatment response in different settings. We're also running them in parallel with some clinical trials. So for example, in our breast studies, patients not only having standard of care therapy, but also experimental therapies or experimental combinations, we're running some of our imaging at the same time as those so we can understand how the imaging may inform us of the drugs that those patients are having. And then further down the line, the patient goes for surgery. So we have some really important metrics that showed whether or not the treatment has worked and whether or not our imaging has demonstrated that response using the surgery as the gold standard. And that's part of the work that we're doing with the Mott Foundation. So that's a way of validating? Absolutely, because validation for imaging comes in many guises. It can be a technical validation that's showing that we can produce the same result in the same patient. We can also need to validate it between sites, as we've already talked about. But validation also includes the biological validation. Can we understand that the imaging is measuring something really real from a biological sense? And I guess the final aspect of the validation is the clinical validation, showing that it's got some meaning and value in terms of reporting on the patients. Yeah, sure. Can I ask how this research is funded? So we're funding from a large variety of sources, including the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine and the CRUK Cambridge Centre. Um, A lot of the initial work was set up by the Wellcome Trust through a large grant. Uh, Many of the staff, including myself and Mary, are funded by Cancer Research UK. And then some of the individual studies are funded by different sources. For example, the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine funds a lot of the breast imaging work that we do. Cancer Research UK funds a lot of the ovarian work and renal work, as well as the prostate studies. And then we're also working with the pharmaceutical industry. For example, AstraZeneca have provided funding for some of our renal imaging. And finally, the glioma research is part of a collaborative work with Aarhus University, funded by the Lundbeck Foundation. And we're really very grateful for all the financial support that we have for these projects. How will this technique change the patient pathway, do you think? Well, that's one of the things that ultimately we want to do with our imaging, change the outcome for patients. I think there are probably two areas where techniques like this will have the biggest impact. One will be detecting treatment response earlier. 
So this will allow patients to be moved on to more effective therapy if they're on an ineffective one or continue with a, a therapy which we know is working. And the other way I think that it'll have a big impact will allow us to stratify our patients better. Prostate cancer is a good example where we can look at more aggressive tumours versus less aggressive tumours. And the more aggressive tumours are the ones that may require active treatment, whereas the less aggressive ones can be the ones could be watched for a longer period of time without requiring surgery. Renal cancer may be another area where we can start to stratify patients based upon the metabolism that we see. So I really think those two key areas, looking at treatment response and stratifying patients uh, and aggressiveness based on metabolism are the two key areas that we're going to explore. And what impact do you think it will have on patient treatment outcomes? Well, I suppose that that follows on from that. How could those affect patient treatment in the future? Increasingly, patient treatment is personalised, so it's the right treatment for the right patient. So no longer are we going to think about patients as large homogeneous groups, but understanding the granularity of the individual within that and what treatments they require. And by exploring that granularity, we're then able to give patients better outcomes, so reduce side effects, give more effective therapy, uh, reduce morbidity, increase survival. And do you think this new technique will be accepted into standard of care? Well, I, I think that's still some way off. It's important to emphasize we're still really a research tool that we're trying to explore. I think for it to be accepted as standard of care, we've got to show that it's efficacious, that we can make a difference, that we can do all those things that I've just described. And we believe that we will find those. And so part of our work as part of the, the, the center is to understand where the role of new imaging can be in the future of standard of care. And um, it will take some time, but really that's what we're dedicated to trying to explore. And can I ask you both how this fits in with your broader research? Uh, Mary, can I start with you? So as a physicist, my main interest is in the technical development of the, of the MRI techniques, improving the quality of the information that we can get from these experiments and, and devising similar tests that we can do uh, with the equipment. And so far, we've only worked with the one sugar called pyruvate. We're moving shortly into using fumarate, but there's a whole range of other molecules that we could develop to investigate different aspects of tumor metabolism. It's particularly exciting for me because I did my PhD in this area 30 years ago, where it took eight hours to get a bit of information from one very concentrated sample. And now we can get similar sort of information in seconds inside the human body and get more information out. So, so that's really the, the focus of my research interest. It's an, an amazing acceleration in discovery. <laughs> it is, yeah, very exciting. And Ferdia, can I ask the same question to you? So uh, the group in general is interested in clinical molecular imaging, particularly in the area of tumor metabolism into which this falls very neatly. And um, we're also interested in early detection response to therapy. Um, so again, uh, hyperpolarizer is one of those key tools that may allow us to do that. But we're interested in other aspects of imaging metabolism with MRI and PET, for example, using conventional proton spectroscopy and how we can study metabolites. And increasingly, we're looking at other new ways for imaging metabolism with MRI and using deuterium-labeled molecules and how we can study those as well. And perhaps I can ask you both where you see integrated cancer medicine taking us in the next five to 10 years, Ferdia. I think cancer is increasingly a disease that patients live with, not die from. Uh, I think asthma is a very good comparison. I mean, many years ago, a diagnosis of asthma could be fatal. And until bronchodilators came along, it was 
it is a very significant dangerous illness to have. Myocardial infarction similarly has moved into something which is treatable. And so I think that's one of the, going to be the paradigm shifts that we see in, in cancer medicine, where it's something that, again, with personalized medicine, we control over time. CRUK, for example, want to increase tenure survival to 75%. And I think imaging will be absolutely key to try to do that. So integrating our imaging with some of the other things that other groups are working on across the campus, like how to improve the biopsies, looking at liquid biomarkers, and joining all that information together to inform upon a patient, I think will be absolutely key. And Mary, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, in the past model was that a patient would perhaps be recruited into one trial looking at one very narrow question. And that was the only thing that, that would be looked at. Um, whereas in this sort of model, if they have a, a broad range of different tests done, then we can get a more holistic view of, of that person's cancer and hopefully be able in future to tailor treatments better to the individuals by incorporating so many different bits of information. It's a bit more work for the patients, to be honest. We, we sometimes ask them to, to really go through a, a lot of, of experiments, but hopefully in the, in the long run, patients will benefit from this more holistic approach. Sure, and I guess looking forward to the Cancer Research Hospital, if we can have everything in one place, that will help that enormously as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they, they really get their, um, their steps in at the moment going around the hospital. And where do you see your research taking you in the next five to 10 years? We need to find applications where we can make a difference, where we have added value. Imaging is not cheap, but at the same time, we can offset the cost of drugs, which are much more expensive than the imaging. So I think that's really where imaging has some added value. And not only that, but we can do it non-invasively. We can follow patients up repeatedly over time. We can look at the heterogeneity. So then some of those really key things that imaging adds to the overall um, patient information that we can then use that information to better inform upon the patient and to improve outcomes. I think increasingly we're going to work with other sites to try and demonstrate the efficacy of these tools. Uh, and that's, I think, the validation of it that we've already talked about will also be key. So I'd just like to say thank you very much to both of you for this extremely interesting conversation this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you thank very you. much. If you want to find out more about the work of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine, please visit our website at www.integratedcancermedicine.org, where you can find details of the ICM vision, all the current research, clinical trials, resources, publications, and team information. You can keep up to date with our latest news and events, and you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you would like more information about the work of the CRUK Cambridge Centre, please go to www.cruk.cambridgecentre.org.uk, or you can connect with us on Twitter using our handle at CRUK Cam Centre. Thanks for listening, and do join us again soon.